Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Unlocked, the podcast that inspires you to create a successful, happy, and positive life and to live the best version of you. Hosted by me, Ricky Locke, professional magician, speaker, trainer, and a man who puts the tea bag in first, stirs, and then adds the milk. The correct way of making a cup of tea. And I have great news to share. We have just hit the UK Apple Podcast Charts for self-improvement. Woohoo! And we've ranked at 216, which is an epic achievement, being in the top 300 Apple Podcasts in all of the UK. So thank you so much for your support and love. It really means a lot. Now, if you are brand new to this podcast, then I would love for you to head over to Apple Podcasts, give the show a five-star rating and a review, and I would love to get it into the top 200, but I need your support, and I can't do it on my own. So if you do enjoy this episode, or if you've listened to any of my others, then please head over to Apple Podcasts and let me know. It would mean the world to me. Now, this week, I have an amazing, inspiring, and superwoman joining me for a discussion on the power of giving. And it is my first MBE guest. Yes, that is right. I have a member of the most excellent order of the British Empire on Unlocked. And Julie is an amazing woman with an incredible story to share. So without further ado, enjoy this episode with Julie Kent, MBE. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Unlocked. Today, my guest is passionate about the power of giving, and in particular, how it's proven to enhance your life in terms of enjoyment and longevity. And she was also awarded an MBE in 2020 by Her Majesty the Queen for services to charity. Welcome to the show, Julie Kent, MBE. Hello. Hello, nice to see you, or nice to hear you. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, how are you? Welcome to the show. How's your week been so far? You've been quite busy on the old podcast now, I can see. Oh, gosh, yeah, I'm doing a tour of podcasts. Um, And actually, my first um, American one is going out on Monday. There's um, a lady that I met on Clubhouse, and um, she's called Next Stop Crazy Town, Juliet Hahn. And uh, it it goes out on Monday. So uh, quite exciting, because she didn't actually know what an MBE was. And she didn't really know what a housemistress in a boarding school was ah. so it was uh it was really interesting to talk to her and fill her in on life in England yeah but um yeah I've done a few and you know and moving forward uh with my own so exciting times yes and I think the time that this comes out there will be a link in the show notes for Judy's podcast so we're speaking yeah. in future tense right now but it'll also be present tense when this goes out so yeah, we'll make sure we'll put out. that in the uh, show notes for you Um, But yeah, Julie, I'm really excited for this. I know that we've had a pre-conversation probably about a week ago. And for context for the listeners, we met literally about two weeks ago. Our good friend, (laughs) mutual friend, Matt Callanan, uh, set up a club on Clubhouse or Room called The Kindness Club. And then we both popped up as speakers. And I just fell in love with you straight away from the the, the speaking and then doing a bit of research into you about the... uh, saxophone and uh, all the wonderful things that you're going to share in this podcast and also shout out to our mutual friend mr richard parsons gloucestershire magician Uh, he uh, speaks very highly of you so yeah so julie welcome i I guess let's dive in and talk about who are you julie and what do you do who am i today ricky i'm going to be (laughs) julie again uh well i was born in gloucester I went to um, school in Gloucester, went to music college and did a degree in jazz and light music, was a professional musician on the road um, six nights a week, Um, came back here and played a lot around here, jazz, pop music, show band stuff, Um, met my husband, had um, a daughter 
who sadly um, had a brain tumour and died when she was three, formed a charity in her name um, and raised money for children with cancer in Gloucestershire, raised enough money to have a ward at Bristol Children's Hospital and Gloucester Hospital, the oncology paediatrics being called the Emily Kent unit, folded the charity when we had two more children, started to raise money for breast cancer, click sergeant, uh, was asked to become a trustee of the Pied Piper Appeal, which is a children's charity, um, and did that. I'm now also chairman of a uh, homeless, vulnerable people charity in Cheltenham. Uh, moved into a boarding school and lived with 60 teenage girls for 20 years, um, and still can try to continue to play my saxophone. Retired last year, in a pandemic, was awarded an MBA, decided to be a public speaker, although it's a bit difficult to be a public speaker when there's a pandemic. <laughs> yeah. So um, doing a tour of podcasts, um, still raising money for lots of charities and very passionate about how important giving is, no matter how old you are. Um, in fact, I know a little eight-year-old that asked for no Christmas presents, but donations instead at Christmas. So um, that that's me in a nutshell. Ricky. And that is a, a pretty big <laughs> nutshell. And I, I think, like I've said to you before, the things that you don't know about Julian, which we'll share in a second, she is such a humble lady. Like the, the things that she's just spoken about, about charity, isn't like she's been doing it for two years or three years. This is a 30 year service. And this is the exact reason of why the Queen awarded you the MBE, which is an absolutely huge achievement for anybody to achieve in life. And I think I'd like to start by asking you the question, Obviously, you have a great talk called The Power of Giving, but I'd love to start to think about how did that really start? What was the spark that created that wonderful journey of 30 years of giving to other people? Um, well, I do remember when I was a teenager um, being on a family holiday on a sort of, uh, it's down in Devon or Cornwall or somewhere, and we all had um, houses around a big hotel and um, there was lots going on for the adults and there wasn't very much going on for the the younger people and so even then I organized a disco for all the children on the site sort of thing and I remember there being a collecting tin on the bar and probably 14 15 just knew that people put money in and it was a good thing and so said to the guy look can you give us a room and I'll organize a disco and we'll charge them probably then gosh it would have been I don't know 1970 or something um 10p or 20p and I said can we put them in this collecting jar so obviously at that age um I had this, I think I am bossy though, Ricky, I've got to say, I am bossy <laughs> and I do like organising things. And if, if something good can come out of it at the end, that's even, that's fantastic. Um, and at school, you know, I, I played in a sort of um, jazz orchestra and we wanted to tour America and we had to raise money for that. So again, I would organise a fancy dress party at my house. My mum and dad were great and people would pay 50p income. So <laughs> fundraising in some way was always sort of in my blood. Um, and then, of course, when we had our first daughter um, and she died, it's very common, I think, for people who lose a child to start a charity in their child's name because you want their name to live on. It's something that, you know, so horrendous um, and you want their name to live on. And so it sort of happened. In fact, I was talking to someone yesterday about how it initially started and probably her funeral, the collection from her funeral started um, was the initial pot for the Emily Kent Charitable Trust. And when she was in having treatment in Bristol, 
um, it was never good. The prognosis was never good, but we tried lots of new treatments and we could never get a scan to see how that treatment had worked or not worked because young children have to be anaesthetized and we could never get a slot um, within an anaesthetist. They just didn't have enough equipment. And so that was the first thing that we bought and um, anaesthetic equipment for the BRI in Bristol so that children could get, so there were more slots available for children to be scanned to see how their treatment was doing really. Wow, and why was so, it then the case that they, that was it just the hospital just didn't have, that they were a capacity? Enough. Oh yeah. wow, blimey. Yeah, so they had maybe one set of anaesthetic equipment, but that was for children and the adults in the Bristol Royal Infirmary. And so whenever we would say, you know, you know, how do you think that treatment's done? And they said, well, we're waiting to get a scan. But because children can't just go and be scanned, you had to get a scan slot and an anaesthetic slot at the same time. And there just wasn't enough equipment. So wow. that is the first thing that we bought, really. And I think uh, and that's amazing, by the way, as well, Julian. I think eventually, didn't it? Uh, did they name an award? Uh, award off of yeah. As well? So yeah. yeah. So at Bristol, um, the day beds. So we we sometimes used to go to Bristol, um, and she'd have her bloods taken, and then I'd wander around, and then I'd go back. And if it wasn't good, we'd have to stay in. And if it was fine, we could come back to Gloucester. And so. Um, when they were building the new children's hospital, they asked us for money and we gave them 50,000 and the day beds was called um, the Emily Kent unit and the bone marrow transplant, it was all one. And at Gloucester, we spent um, obviously a lot of time in the Gloucester Royal, uh, which is where we live. And again, they were building Pied Piper actually, which I'm now vice chairman of. They were raising money to build the new hospital. It's actually a children's centre that's built on the side and um, we gave them 50,000 and that unit is still there, the Emily Kent unit, wow. it's called the EKU and I can go there now and visit and we actually, we keep a pot of money in the Pied Piper safe um, because teenagers might come on the ward um, it's all enclosed, the Emily Kent unit, because obviously you don't want other children that might have, you know, um, anything that might infect the children having their chemo. And you might get a child come in who, depending what age they are, they want the latest PlayStation game or whatever. And so we keep a pot that they can just call down to the Pie Piper office. We can get it up there ASAP um for them because before i think they had to fill in lots of forms to get the money to get a game you know red tape isn't it yeah so and i really wanted it to be you know a child comes in get them what they want they're going to be in for however long having treatment and um so it's, it's good to have that connection now that i can do yeah. that absolutely and it's lovely to see that it's still there the eku unit is there so yeah. every time if you pop in or visit that must be such yeah. a a wonderful feeling to know that your daughter's name is still living on and um, yeah. helping other people. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think that's also the difficult thing. You know, seven years in, we had then Ollie and Georgia who were, you know, one and four. And it's a difficult decision to close the charity because people were kind of, oh, really? I said, yeah, you know, we need to concentrate on those two children now. And every time we had an event, we'd have the most amazing picture of Emily on the screen, you know, that to try and get people to give more money. And it's difficult to move on, I think. And we had done a lot and her name is still there. And, and it's not like we're going to forget her. But, you know, I know a lot of people that have kept charities going and going because they think, you know, they do want to keep the name going. But I think there comes a time and and, you know, 
we, I, I ran the London Marathon in 2012 for Click Sargent, which raised 12,500 and, you know, carried on doing things for other charities. So it, it still, I still felt something positive was coming from something negative, which yeah. is probably the thing that drove me in the first place. And it's a, an amazing thing. I mean, I, I can't, I'm trying to like have empathy because I, I don't have children myself. I have a, no, a young no. niece and nephew and, um, you know, I can't begin to imagine how as a parent that must feel. So that what's come out of that is something so beautiful and so wonderful that you've now mm. helped so many others in need. And I'm guessing that that was one of the sparks again that then led into what was 30 years then of donating to services. I don't really, I don't really know how that happened. <laughs> um, I think it just, I don't know if people ask me to do things, I really am not very good at saying no. <laughs> and I really need to learn that very small word, um, you know, constantly now, even though I retired from school um, last summer, I last week spoke to three different girls um, that contacted me and said, oh, Mrs. Kent, can you help me find a placement for this? Or can you help me find a placement for that? And, you know, and I, I love it. I, I mean, obviously, I would say I ran a boarding house for 20 years because I have a need to be needed, I would say, because, you know, living with 60 girls, you're needed constantly all day and all night. And I obviously like that. And now I'm retired and we're back in our house that we lived in before. I've, I am busy, but it's lovely when the girls phone and say, oh, do you know anyone that can help me with this? Or yeah. um, I never say no. <laughs> oh, I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say that live. No, I do yeah, say we'll, that. We'll let it out, shall we? <laughs> well, I think um, on your show reel, and I know that you shared the story with me because when you first said I spent twenty years living with sixty teenage girls, I was like, "What?" <laughs> and so, can you share more about that? Because I think, I mean, wow, that is incredible. And I, I saw the wonderful photos as well on the show reel. It looked like a wow, a huge connection there that you create with those uh, those young children, those young girls. So yeah, tell us about that. Yeah. Well, um, I first of all was um, a day house mistress. So I, I used to go in and teach flute, clarinet and saxophone at Dean Close. And then the day house mistress was leaving. And at that time there were 90 girls, but those girls, apart from about 14 of them went home every night. Uh, but there was a little house that had 14 of them. And, um, and in those days, 25 years ago, there was a kind of a pecking order. So some female teachers, even if they didn't want to have that job, if they weren't offered it, they'd be very upset. That's how it worked. And I really wanted to do it. And so I'd, I knew that four other members of staff went offered it. I wasn't actually a full-time member of staff. I was a peripatetic, they called them. Anyway, I wrote to the headmaster and said, you know, I would really like to do this. And he said, just let me ask a couple more people and then I will see you. He must have known that they wouldn't do it. Anyway, so I started as a day housemistress, and which meant from first thing in the morning, they would all come in, um, they would go off to lessons, I would do roll calls, any problems in the day I would sort, and then they would go home. And then the boarding house um, came up and the headmaster asked me if I would move into a boarding house, which was so much easier because we were living on site, didn't have to keep driving home all the time because Georgia was only one. Um, and it was just great. It, it's hectic. Um, you know, it's it's draining, it's emotional, it's fun. Um, and, and I do say in my talks, you know, if you've got one or two teenage daughters, because teenager, teenagers are 
you know, emotional, they can be, have a lot of attitude, they can be difficult, they can be tricky, they can be moody, <laughs> you know, and imagine that time 60, yeah. never a dull moment. Um, yeah. And a, what I found the interesting thing was finding that balance between them trusting you um, and having fun, but also I had to discipline them. So, you know, if they had done something wrong, if they'd been rude to a teacher, that would come to me and I would have to deal with that. But also I wanted it to be like their home. So do you see what I mean? The, the yeah. lines were very difficult. And I hope that over all those years, I found that right balance with disciplining them, but having fun, them trusting me with things that were upsetting them. And it could be to do with their parents. You know, quite often um, their parents could have been splitting up. Their parents could have other new families. And so going home for them, they didn't want, some of them didn't want to go home. Of course, yeah. And, um, and what I really wanted, because my generation of people that were went to boarding school didn't always enjoy it it was very strict they weren't allowed out you know their housemistress was probably a twin set and pearls kind of woman <laughs> whereas I'm definitely a leopard print kind of woman and um, I wanted them in 20 years time to be telling their children what a great time they had in boarding yeah. school so you know I would um, go out and get a delivery of flurries. I would take them all for smoothies and coffee at three o'clock every Sunday afternoon, wow. whoever was in. Um, I would organise, you know, karaoke machines to come. And, and sometimes if we were going to have a chill out on a Saturday, I would get loads of face packs, loads of manicure sets. Dominoes would arrive, wow. you know, with over yeah. 100 pounds of the pizza. You know, I just wanted them to have a good time, really. Yeah. Um, work hard, play hard was my... I yeah, I like that. Well, you're creating that wonderful experience. It's something that I've been talking about in this season about how do we create magical experiences. And it's very fitting with the theme that I always share, which is the Maya Angelou phrase. People won't remember what you said. They'll never forget. Um, they won't remember what you did, but they will never forget how you made them feel. And that time yeah. in their lives as they're developing and as they're learning about themselves, they'll always remember that. And I'm sure yeah. they must be extremely proud as well to see that you obviously have been awarded an MBE as well. What did they say about that when they found out? Well, they weren't there because, um, of course, it was in June oh, yeah, and March March the 20th, um, the house emptied. So that week leading up to Friday, March the 20th, um, every day, another we would I would get an email from a parent saying, I remember specifically um, a lovely girl called Noosh and she lived in Copenhagen and the the mum contacted me on the Monday and said, the border is going to close tomorrow at 12 noon. We've got to get her home tonight. Yeah. And um, trying to get a taxi because it was just chaos. I think it might have been race week in Cheltenham as well. And we had to try and get her in a taxi to get her um, over the border and home. Otherwise, she could have been stuck. Yeah. Only one girl in the end, actually. And um, she had to get back to Qatar and her dad didn't get the flight soon enough and she ended up staying with other people because yeah. it, everything was just shutting down that week yeah, scary, and yeah. um so eventually so when when I got the email in June actually none of them were there and I actually couldn't say anything until October and I haven't seen that many lots sent messages um but the big reunion party you know getting all the girls back from 30 years and all my pupils um hasn't actually happened yet as um, having the award also hasn't happened yet because yeah, obviously yeah. the Queen is also um, probably shielded. <laughs> shielded. Yes, yeah. So I don't know when that will happen either. But yeah. you know, 
I put the letters after my name anyway. Well, yeah, absolutely. And, and it's a great segue here because this is something I'd love to find out. I know that we've, we've talked about this previously, but for all the listeners, how does someone get awarded an MBE? I mean, you are my first <laughs> podcast guest and Am actually I? first, I think, person in, in real life, as I say, that um, I've spoken to that has an MBE. So it's a huge honour to talk to you, Julie. Um, but so, I'm yeah. just the same as you, honestly. <laughs> you just have you a know, title at the end instead. Yeah, I've just <laughs> yes. got these three letters, mad barking something. I'll have to think of something new for it. Extraordinary. Um, yeah, there you go. Yeah, extraordinary. <laughs> you, well... Obviously, you don't know anything about it until you get the email. But then I did discover that a very good friend of mine who I'd worked with at Dean Close for about 15 years and she'd retired. I followed her into the day house. And then when I became a boarding house mistress, she was running a different boarding house and, and her son babysat for my children. So we've known them a long time. So she she knew me when we had Emily. She knew she was very supportive when Emily died, blah, blah, blah. And so she gathered all the information about me and she even got letters. She'd, she'd emailed people to write about me and gathered so much information um, and then had to send it all to wherever, cabinet office, I presume. Um, and she was told that, you know, if you don't hear anything in two years, then she hasn't got anything. And for her, I mean, I felt bad that I couldn't tell anyone for four months um, from June to October. But for her, she obviously knew for yeah. that must have, she said it was about 18 months or something. So she'd known all that time and couldn't say anything. So that so you, you know, someone you know obviously thinks you deserve something and gathers everything and sends it all in. And so now there'd be an onslaught, won't there? Everyone would be uh, <laughs> yes. thinking who they can recommend, I would say. But yeah. and then they decide, you know, the cabinet office decide whether it's um a BEM or an MBE or yeah. whatever. Usually I think um the BEM and the MBE of it is more community based. I think if you do something nationally, you're more likely to get an OBE. Yeah. So, you know, Amazing. see what happens. Dame, Dame Julie will aim for next. Now we've got the now we've got the flow. I like that, yes. Hilarious. And, oh. and, yeah, and as you said, the one thing that I think you mentioned this in the kindness club that is that you're looking forward to when uh, the black tie events happen again that you can wear. Yeah, <laughs> the, yeah, the, the medal. medal yeah. yeah, you you get one a biggish one in a box, and then you get a smaller one which you wear. But if you go to things and army people have that whole string of medals, well, I can wear my medal. I got a miniature that someone actually bought me, and um, because he knew the company that makes them, so he bought me one. Bless him. Yeah. Um, and yeah, really looking forward. And something. Imagine my grand. I have one granddaughter. She's only fifteen months old, but. I've kept all this, all the newspaper cuttings and everything and something that she maybe, you know, when she's older, um, I'm going to give all that to her. So, yeah, be nice. that's lovely. And, and how did you feel like when you found out that you were? Oh, my word. Well, I nearly deleted the email for a start because um, <laughs> it came in with all capital letters and numbers. And I had already brought the school system down the year before by opening an invoice that I shouldn't have opened. So I was a bit scared when I saw this email and I thought, oh, well, I'll just open it as long as I don't click on anything. And when I clicked on it, it just said cabinet office. I just, I skip read everything, that's trouble. And I just saw queen, member of, um, and then I had to reread it. And it was saying, I think, something the wording is something like from the cabinet office saying the queen has asked me if you will 
um, accept this award of a member of the British Empire. Um, can't imagine not, but people, yeah. you found someone that had turned it down, hadn't you? Yeah, only tax um, exiles, only yeah, tax exiles That's right, yeah. Down, I think it was Raul Dahl. Yeah, Raul Dahl. Uh, I think he turned it down. Or if you're not yeah. a royalist, I suppose, where I yeah. am really a royalist. I love the royal family. <laughs> we've, we've actually been to the Queen's Garden Party um, because of the charity work I've done. We were invited and that was just, oh, so lovely. Oh, uh, did, but anyway, did you meet her so, then? Did you meet the Queen there? We were very close. There are set people that meet her at a garden party and their position. So when she walks down, certain people, and they know they're going to meet her. So they might be certain, someone in her offices must decide who, but we were really close to her. Wow. And um, she's really diddy. And she wears a lot of makeup as well, oh. which on photos, when you see photos, you don't think that, but obviously yeah. very clever. A lovely colour of her lipstick. It's just my kind of colour. Oh, <laughs> well, it's a great conversation star, isn't it? When you get, yeah. when you meet her to get a, um, the official you know awarding you can say oh i've been in your garden <laughs> yeah and i can say what shade of lipstick do you have yeah there you go yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway so i dashed downstairs to tell my husband who was on the phone and waved at me as if to say don't interrupt me this is very important <laughs> yes. and um and then reread it and it said you know it was june and it said you can't say anything until um october well it didn't say october it said autumn yeah because we want to award some more for uh people that have done things in covid so we had to wait and that was a killer but yeah once it was out just a big relief really yeah i bet so, yeah and yeah. so so you are up there i think when we researched this before ed sheeran has an mbe as well <laughs> So, and yeah. Marcus Rashford. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And I'm hoping because he was given his in the same bunch as me. Yeah. Um, that would be exciting if he was going the same time as me. He looks a lovely guy, doesn't he? Yeah. Well, I was just yeah. thinking in my head there, maybe you could do a duet with Ed Sheeran. Saxophonist, yeah. Ed Sheeran, two MBEs together. I mean, now you're in the same category. So it's just like calling a friend now, isn't it? I guess. <laughs> Actually, I might contact him and say, thanks yeah. for being on my podcast. There we go. Two MBEs, yeah. I'm going to okay. write that down, Ricky. Yeah, go for it. Go for it. Yeah, yeah. You, oh. never, you, you never know. You never know. Well, I was just no. having a funny thought there. What if that email had gone into your junk folder or your spam folder and you'd never have seen it? <laughs> I know. Well, that's what scares me because obviously um, the lady would never have known, no one, unless they really tried to find me but would they be bothered to contact yeah. people i don't know well that's it a lot of people don't answer their phones as well now do they because of like ppi yeah. numbers i mean a lot of ppi and uh, insurance companies ring off mobile so you think it might be a client or a friend and it's like hello is that uh mr ricky lock uh yeah oh yeah we're calling from uh the leeds insurance company oh you know. <laughs> uh, yeah yeah exactly well actually that happened with the press because I was really scared. You know, every time I spoke to my sister in Australia, I wanted to tell her and I thought, oh, I can't, I can't. And then three days before it was all, I knew it was going to be announced. I had to call and it was um, the local press. And they said, oh, Julie, we know um, something like, we know what, what you've been awarded. And I just thought, oh, is this a trick? I don't know whether to say anything or not. I know, honestly, Julie, we've, we've been given all the names. We know you've got an MBE. You know, we want a quote. I thought, oh, phew. Because you know, yeah, that treason, you said, didn't you? Yeah, you said, yeah, you I was trouble, worried yeah. they'd chop my head off in the Tower of London. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course, yeah. So, well, yeah. well, well, Julia, I, I think that the, the story is just so incredible 30 years of giving you know amazing amazing things and services to charity. You've obviously, uh, you're a saxophonist, you've been performing all over the world. Where does 
that sense of giving come from? And you did mention that it started from an early age, but what what does it take to be a wonderful human being like yourself to, to give? You know, that's I don't think everybody has that quality, unfortunately, in the world. I think a lot of human beings are selfish. So uh, I might be wrong, but I'd love to hear what does it take to be such a giver in life? Honestly, I don't really think about it. But I do, when I was at school with all these girls, um, I really was keen to get them to think about other people. And I would drag them to um, summer fates to sell teddies. And uh, we would collect a lot of things. So we would collect food for the homeless. And I would take them with me to um, deliver the food and so that they could meet people and see where the money was going, where the food was going. and. Um, so I just wanted to inspire other people to give because giving gives you such a good feeling. And also, you know, some of the girls were, um, their lives were quite comfortable and I wanted them to see what it was like the other side. And I had, um, there was a sheltered accommodation um, place right opposite school that had about 20 old people living there. And there's a lady called Peggy who is still alive, she's 106. And I met her when she was 85. So we used to invite them all over to school once a term and we would entertain them, sing songs, um, give them tea and cake and everything and then they'd go. And I met Peggy when she was 85 and every September when it was her birthday, it always coincided with our afternoon tea with the elderly. One of her birthdays when she was 104, I think, we didn't do it for some reason. And I said to the girls, right, I'm going down to see Peggy because it's her birthday. Do you want to come? Oh, do we have to? You know, I went, yes, you do. We're only going for half an hour, just two or three of you. And they came with me and we sat and we chatted to Peggy and we had cake and tea. And when we were coming back, they were like, oh, that was so good. Can we go again? You know, and it's just getting them to realise what a difference they can make because old people seeing younger people just love it. How interesting she was, yeah. you know, and she is really interesting. In fact, I was very naughty and in September, I can't remember what tier we were in in September, but I popped <laughs> over there and um, went to her window and knocked on the window. She was so excited to see me. Oh, and I said, oh, we, I said, we can't come in. And she went, yes, yes. Let me in through the fire escape. And um, I just sat and had a chat with her. And she was on the sherry at half past 11. Wow. Uh, and as I was leaving at quarter past, I said, oh, Julie, just give me a little top up in here before my <laughs> Meals on Wheels arrives. Oh, I went, you're not going to fall over, are you, Peggy? No, she was great. Oh, bless but it was her. good that they, do you see what I mean? It was good that yeah. they realised giving is so good. Yeah, definitely. It's interesting, isn't it, to think like um, sometimes, I mean, like for the girls, they're probably thinking that, oh, do we have to? Oh, I'd much rather mm. do something different. But actually yeah. then going through that and understanding, yeah, that, that has made a difference yeah. to her, isn't it? Yeah. I think, I don't know if a lot of people, uh, empathy, I think, is really, really important when we think about giving. And I think that the COVID thing has really heightened that a little bit more. And I know yeah. certainly for me, I started to to make a difference more with, with trying to reach out to my, my couples, to my family, to just talk and just give and not with the intention to receive, but purely just to give something. Yeah. And it does, it makes you feel so good that you've done yeah. something that has made someone at least smile. Um, one of the things I've mentioned before on the podcast is I send voice memos and I know you've done one to me as well, yeah. which is lovely. 
But when you get a voice memo saying, oh, hi, it's, it's Ricky, just wanted to say, hey, loving what you're doing. I hope you're well, I've not seen you in a while. Um, hope you're still doing this and I hope you're having a great day and uh, yeah, catch up soon, take care. And when you hear that voice or you see that video directed mm. to you, it just makes you so great, you know, and yeah. when you then, I mean, the voice memos that I do is, is compa- nothing compared to the, the wonderful things that you've created and, and raised for charity. But I think that we really need to, as human beings, give more. And I love the idea that your talk is called The Power of Giving. And I'd love to ask you, what advice would you give to people wanting to maybe start a charitable event or to do something to make a difference for other people? What advice would you say to them? Um, well, if you want to raise some money, I would definitely choose a local community charity to raise it for, mainly because you could contact them and go and see them and you can see exactly where your money is going to go. So even if it's £100 you raise or £1,000, if you raise £1,000, that's amazing. You want to know where that £1,000 will go. And quite often, depending on the charity. So for if I use my charities as an example, um, Cheltenham Open Door, which um, feeds the homeless and the vulnerable, if you offered us £1,000, we'd probably say that freezer, great big freezers we have, is about to collapse. If you give us £1,000, that freezer, and we'll even stick your company name on it. Um, if you went to the Pi Piper, which is my children's charity and offered a thousand pounds, we would probably say, look, this special school that only deals in disabled children wants a screen, you know, a touch um, sensitive, like a massive iPad, your thousand pounds will go towards that, that we can wheel into the bays and the cubicles. So you'd be able to see exactly where your money goes. So, but, and then when you know what your money is going to, you'll be more enthusiastic about encouraging people to raise money, but you can tell yeah. them exactly where that money is going to go. Whereas if you set up a show, we're going to raise a thousand pounds for cancer research or whatever you're not really seeing where it goes. So it's harder for people to picture where their money is going to go. And so I really think that having that and talking about where the money is going to go and um, that sort of thing really enthuses everyone around you. So that would be my top tip, really. I like that. Love that. And um, I've got a question here that I haven't scripted down, but it came to my mind when we were talking, which was... Oh, no. If you could go back in time to speak to yourself when you was a teenager at that disco when you saw the pot collecting money and then tell your teenage self of the journey of your life of how it will be what do you think your teenager self would say and, and especially getting an mbe what do you think your teenager self would say to that i think my teenager self would say i feel like a teenager now uh, <laughs> wow how exciting great i think that's what julie at 15 would have said i'd said bring it on how exciting if I thought my life you know my life has obviously had sad moments but at the end of the day um yeah the fact that hopefully I've made a difference to lots of people you know I can I can sleep well (laughs) definitely love that and uh, I guess one of my last questions is we've talked about kindness in the kindness club Uh, I've talked about on a couple of episodes of this one this year about how can we be more human this year? How can we create more kindness? And how do we create more of a magical experience? So not initially as in like a business, but in just wonderful things that we do to others to make a difference. How can we turn that into magical experiences? So in a nutshell, that question is, how can we create more kindness this year? 
and create magical experiences for other people? I think actually, you know, people have been doing it much more. You know, there are people who, certainly the whole clapping for the NHS, people met their neighbours for the first time, even though they'd lived there for 10 yeah, years. Yeah, that's true. And so, you know, the whole, I know there's awful things about the pandemic, but there have been lots of good things that have come out of it. And certainly knowing the people that we live close to, and people have started to check on the people that lived alone, that they were too busy before, yeah. or just maybe didn't have the nerve to just knock on someone's door randomly. You can do that now, can't you? Yeah. And um, so I think people have got better at it. I think that people are much more open. Acts of kindness is such a phrase that we hear so much more than we did a year ago. Yeah. And so I think there's every opportunity now to do that. And people are looking for things to do, aren't yeah. they? People contact me all the time and say, how can I help? Well, with Chartner Open Draw, it's difficult because we can't let them in and, and we can't get close to people. Yeah. Um, so it is more difficult. I've actually, this week, um, two people have asked me what they can do. And I said, I've just had all these cards printed so that we can recycle Christmas cards and recycle birthday cards, thank you cards. So we're collecting cards and they've been printed on the back. It says made um, special hand made with love for the Pied Piper Appeal. So I'm going to drop them off to these ladies who are desperate to do something. You know, they yeah. are used to volunteering at events that we have and we haven't got any events. So they're happy to use the pink and shears to give it that edge, cut up cards, stick them on, and then we'll be able to sell those. That small thing will make a difference. Yeah. It will keep them busy, give them something to do. They feel like they're doing something. Who else can we dump a whole load of cards on? You know, yeah. it's something small, but, you yeah. know, it's something important. I agree. Completely agree. I think that the COVID or the global pandemic exposed blinkers for us. I think all of our blinkers came yeah. off and looked around and thought, there's more to this world than just my digital phone, TV, yeah. Netflix. And actually there are yeah. wonderful people out there that we need to reach out to and say things. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what's next for Julie Kemp MBE? <laughs> I'd well, love to find out. Well, um, I'm hoping, I was hoping to do a world tour of speaking. It's turned into a virtual world tour <laughs> yes. of speaking, which has sort of turned into a virtual world tour of podcasting. Yeah. And um, my first American podcast that I've been on is out next week, and I'm recording another one today. Um, and trying to reach out through our school network to people all over the world. Um, I am starting a podcast, which goes out next week. And I'm also, my, I'm going to be 60 in November. Congratulations. Thank you. And I would like to find 999 women that were born in 1961. Okay. And I'd like to get them all together by November, probably start the launch in, in the summer. And I'd like those women to raise £100 each. And I'd like us to have a Facebook group. And I'd like to find out the, their stories so they were born the same time as me and I'd like to get to know them and find out what they've done in their lives and at the same time that would raise 100,000 for Pied Piper which yeah. they're 130,000 down so that would help so that's quite a big thing so you know Chartnam Open Door my the homeless charity I'm chair of we're trying to find a bigger building because we were feeding 50 people a day and now we're feeding 80 uh, so we need a bigger building and so you know, I don't, I can't actually squash most things into one day. I need more hours. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's uh, a lot. Well, that's uh, wonderful. Again, just so humble, um, 
so much of uh, self-interested there. I love uh, less, you know, low self-interest there that you just give to other people. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. So I guess then, how can people find out more about what you do? Uh, where's the best place to see you? Well, I am all over social media. You probably, I think my sister blocked me at one time and then <laughs> let me back in again. Uh, but uh, on Instagram, uh, Facebook, uh, I'm on everything, aren't I? LinkedIn. I'm all um, either Julie Kent MBE or at Julie Kent MBE. Twitter, I love. Um, so all those social platforms. My website is just about to be extended. Lots more pages put on, but that's juliekentmbe.com. Um, so I am, it would be difficult not to find me if you wanted to find me, I think. Fantastic. Well, we'll Please follow me. I want lots of follows. Oh, there we go. Well, we'll put some <laughs> links in the show notes for Julie then. Julie, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you for coming onto the show and sharing your story. It's a wonderful story filled with love, passion, humility, and just wonderful things. So thank you so much and uh, good luck to you. And I'm sure that we're going to see lots from you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks, Julie. Take care. Thanks. Bye. So there we go. What an amazing and inspiring woman. Julie, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. It was a pleasure to hear your story and share it with all of my listeners. Don't forget, if you did enjoy this episode, then head over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star rating and leave us a review as well. It helps us get this podcast out to more listeners. Thanks for listening. And don't forget, join us on next week, next Wednesday, for another episode of Unlocked. Goodbye.